Welcome to another inspirational message from the chapel. We pray this message encourages and inspires you. If you would like any more information, check out our website, thechapelcollective.com.au. So we're going to jump straight into um, where Jace left off in Daniel, Daniel chapter 9. Um, and so it says this, In the first year of Darius, the son of that guy, um, by descent a Mede, who was made a king over the realm of the Chaldeans. In the first year of his reign, I, Daniel, perceived in the books the number of years that, according to the word of the Lord to Jeremiah the prophet, must pass before the end of the desolations of Jerusalem, namely 70 years. So just background here, they're in exile. The people of God are in exile in a place called Babylon. They've been carried off because they've been just completely disobedient, completely disregarding the word of the Lord. Now, I'm actually in Jeremiah in my quiet times at the moment, and it's kind of the the precursor to what's happening here, where Jeremiah again and again and again has been telling them, if you'll just turn back to the Lord, even now, even now, there's still time to turn back to God. And they're like, eh, whatever, Jeremiah, we don't care. You're a false prophet. We're not interested. And so the, the consequence of what they've been told would happen has happened. And now they're in exile. And Daniel is now, scholars say, an 82-year-old man at this point. So we've had all the prophecies that he said. And, and, and at this point, he's an 82-year-old man. Or, sorry, all the visions that he's seen. Um, and like last week was crazy. So I just, like Jason's a smart guy. I just can't get over it. Um, okay, so 70 years. So I just want to mention to you that Jeremiah had been prophesying this for 23 years. 23 years he's been saying the same thing. And everyone's just like, whatever, Jeremiah, we're not interested. And Jeremiah stays faithful to that word, regardless of how popular the message is. And Jeremiah says at that point, you're going to be in exile for 70 years and then God's going to do something about bringing people back. And so 70 years and 23 years, quick maths, Phoebe, is your mum brain back into maths mode yet? No, okay, 93 years. I'll just help her out. Um, 93 years. I just want to remind you that our God doesn't work in political terms. He doesn't go from one election period to the next. He sees generationally, he sees across millennia. And so when we get all weirded out about what might be happening in our times, our best, the best thing we can do is not stress out, but go and pray to God and ask Him what's going on here and how, Lord, do I make sure that I'm on the right side of history? Tell me what to do, God. I was thinking about this. Um, It turned out to be a hoax, I think, but there was a, a talk of the Department of Education putting litter boxes in schools for people who identified as animals, um, who identified as cats and dogs and things. Apparently before the Department of Education right now. And when I heard of that, I was like, okay, we don't deserve to be a civilization. Just let China invade us. It's fine. And I was like, there's more Christians in China than there are people in Australia. So, Lord, whatever you want. And, and you know, I'd say that in jest. Please. Xi Jinping, Lord, every name is, don't, don't take me at my word, but no, you're not invited. Um, but, but I say that in jest, but, but actually, like, God can do anything and He's got a master plan at work. That's what we have to remember. We have to remember that He has a master plan at work. So here's His master plan being laid out. So what happens here is that... Um, Daniel responds in prayer. Verse three, it says, Then I turned my face to the Lord God, seeking Him by prayer and pleas for mercy while fasting and with sackcloth and ashes. So his first step, as our first step should always be when we see things and don't, that we don't like, he just goes to prayer. 
I prayed to the Lord my God and made confession saying, O Lord, the great and awesome God who keeps His covenant and steadfast love with those who love Him and keep His commandments. We have sinned and done wrong and acted wickedly and rebelled, turning aside from Your commandments and rules. We have not listened to Your servants, the prophets who spoke in Your name to our kings, our princes and our fathers and to all the people of the land. To You, O Lord, belongs righteousness, but to us open shame as at this day to the men of Judah, to the inhabitants of Jerusalem and to all Israel, to those who are near and to those who are far away in all the lands to which you have driven them because of the treachery they committed against you. To us, O Lord, belongs open shame. To our kings, to our princes. Did I just read that? No. Okay, good good repetition, Daniel. And to our fathers, because we have sinned against you. To the Lord our God belong mercy and forgiveness, for we have rebelled against Him and have not obeyed the voice of the Lord our God by walking in His laws, which He set before us by His servants, the prophets." All Israel has transgressed your law and turned aside, refusing to obey your voice. And the curse and oath that are written in the law of Moses, the servant of God, have been poured out upon us because we have sinned against him. He has confirmed his words, which he spoke against us and against our rulers who ruled us by bringing upon us a great calamity. For under the whole heaven, there has not been done anything like what has been done against Jerusalem. As it is written in the law of Moses, all this calamity has come upon us, yet we have not entreated the favour of of the Lord our God by turning from our iniquities and gaining insight by your truth. Therefore, the Lord has kept ready the calamity and has brought it upon us for the Lord our God is righteous in all the works he's done and we have not obeyed his voice. And now, O Lord, our God, who brought your people out of the land of Egypt with a mighty hand and have made a name for yourself as at this day we have sinned and we have done wickedly. That's a pretty epic passage right there and a pretty epic prayer. I just want to pick out a few things from here. Um, because, I, and I just want to, if you're f- new here today, you're like, what is going on, Bron? Is that the God that, that you guys are talking about? Like he just pours out wrath and calamity upon people. Um, yes. Um, <laughs> but, but also to, to him belong mercy and forgiveness. And he pours that out even more. And he poured that out once for all time on one person called Jesus Christ on himself, in fact. And so let's remember that. But um, in this place, what the reason that he's doing this is, and it's been covered in the early chapters, but just in case you knew, these people had followed after the gods of the nations around them and had done such things as offering up their babies to the Lord, uh, to, the, to the gods. They're like, well, we'll sacrifice our babies. So I just want to give you a picture, not to shock you, but to tell you how abhorrent their behaviour had become. And so that's why after constant reminders, turn back to the Lord, turn back to the Lord, he's given them over um, to punishment. Now, there's some ways that we can pray here is that um, what Daniel is doing is praying according to what Jeremiah has written. He's found the Scriptures and he's begun to pray according to what is written. He's found that it says 70 years and he's beginning to pray, Lord, let the 70 years be soon coming to an end. Let this happen. And Calvin says that the best way to pray is to ask for what God has promised. That's your best bet to pray for. If God's promised it, pray for that and call Him on it. Um, Jeremiah also took a, uh, sorry, Daniel took a complete position of humility. He turns his face to the wall. He gets in sackcloth and ashes. He fasts. He confesses. Now, I want to tell you right now that Daniel, as you've been reading and as you've been hearing, was a righteous man. He stood up in the face of political opposition, no worries at all. And he was incredibly righteous. And yet he says, we have sinned. He takes responsibility for the sin of the nation. Uh, I read this book a while ago called Extreme Ownership. And it's about um, two army guys. What's the like elite, what's the SAS version in the States? SEAL Team 6. Is that right? 
Sweet, thanks. That was awesome. Thank you. <laughs> um, so SEAL Team 6, they, they um, were in Afghanistan and one of the worst things that could happen happened when they were um, beginning to um, attack this little place. Getting all the details right, by the way. Um, it was a code blue or code red or code orange or something that was probably very important for them to know the colour, but not so important for us. Um, and what had happened was that they began to fire, but it turned out that it was friendlies that they were firing on. They were firing on their own um, people. The, 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 the communications had got mixed up. Someone actually was killed, but killed by their own countrymen, uh, their own team. And so, of course, launched this massive investigation as to what had happened there. And what they said was that, yep, they, they, they found areas of ownership all the way along. But when it came down to it, the people that had to own it were the people who were completely separate, who were in the comms room, who were back, way back here, and then the people who were in charge of that. They were saying everyone all along the way had to take ownership. Now, we live in a generation that doesn't take ownership for much at all. And I know, I'm going to say something that maybe you'll find controversial, but I don't at all because of this passage, is that when we, I'm sorry, Kate, I've got no timer. Can you just give me one? Thank you. Um, when we, when I was at school, uh, it was around the time that we were to say sorry for the past sins of our ancestors against our First Nations people. Now, the conversation for us as kids, as we didn't do anything, we're not saying sorry. That was the conversation that I, I'm just being really frank with you. And it's not until I've read these passages uh, later in life and in the passage of Nehemiah, where they just own the sins of their forefathers like you wouldn't believe. I'm like, okay, that's the biblical pattern. The biblical pattern is not, I'm not, I'm not saying anything. It's not me. I didn't do anything. It's, hey, if there's been sin, extreme ownership, Lord, I confess for it. And so we were at a regional day in Narrabri and Pastor Willie Dumas, an Indigenous leader in the ACC, came and preached about um, just, you know, the Spirit of God and, and he, he did this amazing, beautiful message. And then actually as a region, we all got on our knees and repented for the atrocities that had been committed against our First Nations people in this region. Now, I don't know how you feel about that, but I reckon Daniel's okay with it because it's exactly what he did. It's exactly what Nehemiah did. And so that'll be a good conversation for discussion around the tables. <laughs> Praise the Lord. Okay. Um, now, also what happens here is that Daniel remembers past mercies knowing that God never changes. This is something that John Piper says. He remembers past mercies of God, remembering that God never changes. So even though he's in a situation that is horrific and he's seeing things that he just wants to end, he's 82 he sees that God never actually changes. And so he's calling on the things um, that he's done before. We sing a song here, I'm calling on the God of Jacob. He's the same God now. He's the same God. And so we've got to remember that he's the same God that, um, that brought people out of Egypt, that parted the sea, that shut the mouths of lions. Do what you are famous for, Lord. Okay, let's keep reading. It says, Lord, according to all your righteous acts, let your anger and your wrath turn away from your city, Jerusalem, your holy hill, because for our sins and for the iniquities of our fathers, Jerusalem and your people have become a byword among all who are around us. Do you ever feel as the Christian church that we've become a byword for all the people around us? That once it's the foundation of our nation, but now it's actually like, it, it, it can be a shame to be a Christian. That's what Daniel's saying. To be a Jew now is to be a byword among the nations. And he's saying, hey, Lord, according to your righteousness, 
Let this be turned around, not according to our acts. It says, Now therefore, O God, listen to the prayer of your servant and to his pleas for mercy. And for your own sake, God, O Lord, make your face to shine upon your sanctuary, which is desolate. O my God, incline your ear and hear. Open your eyes and see our desolation in the city that is called by your name. For we do not present our pleas before you because of our righteousness, but because of your great mercy. So when we pray, we can appeal to God for the glory of His name, not because of anything that we've done. Lord, I did this and so you should do this. Who knows that if we try to balance those scales, we're never going to win. Lord, I've been really great for the last three weeks. I haven't watched anything dodgy at all. So you should come through for me in prayer now. No, no, Lord, according to your great name, according to your mercy, according to your faithfulness, Lord, would you come through for me in this way? And it says here, while I was speaking in verse 23, 20, while I was speaking, confessing my sin and praying, it says that, that, that an answer came, a vision came, Gabriel came. That's so different to the next chapter. So I just want to point that out to you. Um, and it says in verse 22 that the, the guy who came to him said, Oh, Daniel, I've now come out to give you insight and understanding. And essentially what he says is, Daniel, I'm going to blow your mind now. And, and I'm just going to give you a quick outline because some of you are history geeks and you love it and, and some of you are like boring. So I'm just going to give you the brief version, okay? Is that he essentially says that there's going to be seven weeks of years and there's a maths equation there that Phoebe would like to help you out with later. But essentially it works out, scholars have worked it out that it's 483 years from here. And it's saying that an anointed one is coming. And actually you can trace through history, remembering that this is before they even get out of exile, that this is the vision that comes. And you can trace through history and scholars get to, it's roughly when Jesus was born or it's roughly when it was his triumphal entry into Jerusalem or it's roughly when he died. In any case, it's in Jesus' lifetime that this a number of weeks of years has come to pass. And then it says after that, that there's going to be a desolation. And that happens roughly 70 AD, that, that Jerusalem is absolutely decimated. So we have this prophecy, this, this vision, this word given that actually mathematically makes sense and historically makes sense. Now, um, I don't know what you think about that, but you can, oh, I can't get around it. So if you can, let me know how you did it. Um, so, okay, next chapter in the last few minutes is that Daniel is mourning for three weeks. Now, this is where we get our Daniel fast forward that we do in February. And it's where he doesn't eat any, let's have a look at what he doesn't eat. He doesn't have any delicacies, no meat or wine. It's pretty much Kate's life <laughs> when you're lactose free and a vegetarian and underage. Okay, um, no delicacies, no meat or wine entered my mouth, my mouth, nor did I anoint myself at all for full three weeks, it says. Verse four of the next chapter, it says, on the 24th day of the first month, as I was standing on the bank of the great river, that is the Tigris, I lifted up my eyes and look and behold, a man was there and it's another supernatural being and another vision. Why am I pointing this out? Because in the first instance, he prayed and while he was praying, the answer came. In this instance, he had to tarry for the answer. He waited for the answer. And it says actually why. And, and if you're new to church or, or new to, you know, the Old Testament or Daniel, this might feel a bit rocky for you, but, but stay with me. He's, the angel says, the moment you started praying, I was deployed by God. But there was a territorial spirit that I had to do battle with. The Prince of Persia had me do battle with him and I had to conquer him before I could get to you. 
Now, I just think that's awesome because it shows us that we know things that we know already. We feel that there are evil forces at work in our world. And this is just showing that absolutely there is and that our prayers make a difference to that. Let me read you this story from YWAM. It says here in Argentina, of course, spiritual warfare is not new, but the way territorial spirits are being confronted seems to be new. For example, in Cordoba, Argentina, 200 youth with a mission missionaries gathered from around the world to tell fans at the World Cup, the soccer playoffs, about Jesus. But no one seemed to be listening to their good news. It was the um, territorial spirit of Socero. <laughs> No, that's soccer. Just kidding. Um, Their evangelism efforts were listless and powerless. Their Spanish tracks were ignored. The missionaries decided to devote a day to prayer and fasting. In that meeting, God revealed that Satan was not only busy with individuals, but that he had immersed himself deeply in the culture of the territory, especially in the form of pride. Cordoba was very sophisticated, fashion conscious and materialistic. And the people clung to their values of position, possessions and appearance. The missionaries discerned that the only way to this territorial spirit manifesting itself in pride would be overcome was by humility. So they scattered themselves throughout the central mall shopping area and got down on their knees with their foreheads to the cobblestones in full view of passers-by and prayed for Jesus to be revealed to the city. A breakthrough came immediately. Large, curious crowds gathered to watch and listen. People took the tracks eagerly and even asked to have them autographed by the missionaries. John Dawson preached at the plaza of St. Martin and people in the crowd dropped to their knees repenting of their sins. His interpretation of what had happened was the intimidation of the enemy was broken along with our pride. How cool is that? Would you do it? Would you get out there? Would you get in the streets, Peel Street, kneel with your face to the ground? I'd need to hear from the Lord, frankly. But yes, amen, Lord. If you say it, I'll do it. Um, there, there are territorial spirits that is supernatural battle to be, do, to be done. But I just want to, before we head to reflection time, Daniel wasn't preoccupied with territorial spirits while he was praying. He heard from the Lord, from his scripture and from his word and started praying according to the word. And he prayed repentance. He repented to the Lord. He made sure that he'd confessed his sin and the sins of his people. And he, um, he decided that he would get into fasting and, and completely humble himself. And he prayed according to the word of God. He didn't like go on a, there is time for spiritual warfare 100%. But I just want to remind you that God can do the spiritual warfare while we're praying in our understanding. We need to pray however God calls us to pray and understand that God will do the battle as well. We don't wrestle against flesh and blood. We get wrestle against principalities and powers. But often the battle that needs to be done is first in us. It's pride that needs to be broken in us. It's repentance that needs to happen in us. And so that's why I love the thought that, that, that revival can break out, but it's always in order that there's repentance and that there's a change in a nation. It's not just so that we have manifestations and deliverances of demons, it's so that a nation is changed. It's so that we might come to repentance. So um, that's chapter nine and chapter 10. Uh, what I'd love you to talk about is um, territorial spirits. <laughs> No, well, you can. Any experience that you have with that. I'd love you to talk about whether that completely freaks you and weirds you out and you, you don't even want anything to do with it. Or if you're like, oh, I'm really open. I really want to know, understand more about it. Maybe someone at the table's got some testimonies to tell you. Um, but let's have a chat. Anything that occurred to you from the passage, a question that arose or a takeaway that you have, uh, particularly as it relates to spiritual warfare. Let's do that now. I'm going to bring a, a kind of condensed... 
version of what I'm going to be preaching the 10, which is essentially around, does God choose some over others? And uh, so that's um, going to be interesting, particularly depending on when you work and out of school. Okay, um, so that'll be an interesting uh, subject, but really what it's dealing with is, is, is the, uh, the balance or the where does God's will and sovereignty finish and where does our will start? Now, I can't pretend to possibly answer that question, um, but really I think as we look at Daniel, it's very poignant. It's very poignant in that, that there are a bunch of people uh, who have made a decision and then got the consequences that God has declared upon them has come upon them. And, and Daniel is praying, um, even though God has already declared, declared his will. And, and so this is a, a tension that we always have to manage. I heard a person say once in a connect group that I was at, they said, I find it really hard to pray because if I pray, God may intervene or he may not. And if I don't pray, God may intervene or he may not. Has anyone ever felt like that before? Yeah, it's a very normal feeling to have. And yet here is Daniel on his face confessing the sins of everyone around him and and praying like God's will is completely dependent on him. He is praying his heart out and he's saying, Lord, please, would you come through in this area? Would you make a difference here? I know you've said this. But can we somehow speed that up in coming? And what God gives him um, and what God gives the prophet Jeremiah and what God gives the prophets all the time is not only often um, really hard for them to say to people and makes them very unpopular, it also makes it really hard for them personally because they get put in stocks and killed, like Jesus said, they killed the prophets, they killed you know, the person, people that you sent before as they even killed me. So how does it work? What happens with um, the God's will, God's sovereignty and our will? Uh, someone who doesn't like to be quoted on recordings once told me this. They said that they like to think of it as dynamic equilibrium. Now that's a scientific term where a gas turns into a liquid, turning into a gas, turning into a liquid, turning into a gas. It's like this state, is this right, Ray? Where's Ray? Um, Ray's a science teacher. Um, there's this state, just say yes, even if it's not true. Yeah, cool, great. Um, there's this state of where a gaseous state is turning into There's this constant um, boiling whatever thing. Process, thank you, Nerida. Yes. And so this is what's happening also in our lives. Is God sovereign? Absolutely. Now, do we have free will? That's what's up for conjecture. I would say, yes, absolutely. I'd also say that, yes, Jesus died so that we could have free will. He considered our choice so sacred and so precious that he died in order for us to be able to make one. And that's where we say, well, God, why would you do that? Why would you possibly make people be able to have free will when you knew that they'd do the wrong thing? And I believe he would say, I made provision for that. I gave them that free will so that they might have a relationship with me, that they wouldn't be slaves, but they would be friends. And Jesus said, no longer do I call you slaves, I call you my friends because a slave has no knowledge of what the master is doing, but I'm telling you what I'm up to. And he gave us the ability to have that because he said, I'll pay for it all. No matter what you're going to do, behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. He said, I'm actually willing to pay for it all. And now I'm going to go deeper into that in the 10 a.m., um, but I can't possibly deal with it in 10 minutes. So um, leave, you, leave you just wondering, okay? Um, here, no, I'm going to give you a few things. I want to give you a quote from John Stott. 
Um, John Stott is a, he's dead now, but he was a wonderful, beautiful Christian man. And in 1938, he was at a rugby school and a guy called um, Nash, or they called him Bash, was preaching. And after it, Stott was so taken by this message that was preached and, and Bash, the, the preacher, he gave him this challenge. He, he said in Revelation 3.20, it says, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If any, if any man hears my voice and opens the door, I will come into him and I will sup with him and he with me. Essentially saying that Jesus is standing at the door and knocking and if anyone wants to you know, let him in, that he'll come and sit down with him. That's what the Bible says. Now, um, John Stott says this, Here then is the crucial question to which we have been leading up to. Have we ever opened our door to Christ? Have we ever invited Him in? This was exactly the question which I needed to have put to me. For intellectually speaking, I had believed in Jesus all my life on the other side of the door. I had regularly struggled to say my prayers through the keyhole. I'd even pushed pennies under the door in an attempt to pacify Him. I'd been baptised, yes, and confirmed as well in the Anglican tradition. I went to church, I read my Bible, I had high ideals and I tried to be good and do good. But all the time, often without realising, I was holding Christ at arm's length, keeping Him outside. I knew that to open the door might have momentous consequences. And he says this, I am profoundly grateful to Him for enabling me to open the door. I love that. Looking back now over more than 50 years, I realise that this simple step has changed the entire direction, course and quality of my life. Now later, as he's then preaching about this topic, he says this. He says, yet, because this is so profoundly impacting him, it became part of his life message. He said, yet Jesus Christ says he's standing, knocking at the door of our lives, waiting. Notice that he is standing at the door, not pushing it. Speaking to us, not shouting. This is all the more remarkable when we reflect that the house is His in any case. He is the architect. He designed it. You and I are designed by Him. He is the builder. He made it. He knit us together in our mother's womb. He is the landlord. He bought it with His own blood. So it is His by right of plan, construction and purchase. We are only tenants in a house that does not belong to us. He could put his shoulder to the door. He prefers to put his hand on the knocker. He could command us to open to him. Instead, he merely invites us to do so. He will not force an entry to anybody's life. He says in verse 18, I counsel you. He could issue orders. He is content to give advice. This is the nature of his humility and the extent of the freedom that he has given us. That's good, good stuff, John Stott. Thank you. I'm, I'm profoundly impacted by that because there are aspects of God's sovereignty that I cannot escape. <laughs> you, you know, I can have a belief system, but then God upsets it and wrecks it anyway. Uh, I feel like anyone can take themselves out of God's will, except I've never been able to. <laughs> I've wanted to quit a bunch of times and never managed to. And so I, I feel like I can have a belief system and, and God can wreck it. And I just want to encourage us that we can get so set on a system of belief and a, a, a doctrinal statement. And I just want to keep us um, focused on being humble before Christ and saying, Jesus, not your will, not my will, but yours be done. Not my will, but yours be done. Daryl, if you want to come up, that'd be great. Uh, I just want to take us for a moment. And it's important to know what you believe. I 100% don't want us to think this morning that I'm saying, don't, 
don't think about what you believe, don't hold any doctrines, absolutely not. I just want us to hold them loosely because we, we see in part, we see through a glass dimly right now. And, and I find that people tend to argue more the more they take a, a statement and say, this is mine and this is where I stake my ground. They stop serving people. Uh, so let's just ensure that we know what we believe, that we search it out, that we deal, be diligent in the Word of God, but we humbly serve each other as well. Um, and so what I'd love us to do is get humble before the Lord this morning. And I'd just love you to close your eyes if you can. And uh, for some of you, perhaps you feel that knocking on the door of your heart right now. I spoke to someone once that actually felt a physical knocking on the door of their heart. Uh, for others, it's like a pounding of their chest. It's like a, like a goosebump moment almost that the Holy Spirit is saying, will you let me in? Will you let me change your life? Will you give it all to me? Will this be a moment of surrender? I understand you've kept me at arm's length. You've read the Bible, you've tried, but you've kept me at arm's length. You've never actually fully opened the door to every part of your life. And if that's you this morning, then let's just be humble before the Lord and admit it. And it's simply a matter of saying, Lord, please, I surrender to you. I'm holding all this stuff back. I don't fully trust you to have my best interests at heart. I think I've got to control things, Lord. I surrender it all to you. And so just humbly do that before the Lord because He knows your heart and you can put that in your own words and your thoughts and He will hear those thoughts. If, that's, if you've done that for ages and you feel like, yeah, I'm there, like to varying degrees, I've got to die to myself daily, of course. And now I'd love us to confess our sins. And, and I do this with a friend every week when we're on track. We have this moment where we're meant to confess and always we go, oh, I don't really think I've got anything to confess. And then we go, Holy Spirit, what do I need to confess? And then boom, <laughs> in it comes. And so right now, Holy Spirit, what do I need to confess right now? Just confess that to the Lord. We went to a church in Toronto and it was, it was a reformed church and I was really upset because my kids said, ah, that confession time was so negative. I had to say, oh, kids, I'm sorry. I've been teaching you right. This is absolutely vital and absolutely freeing. So let's confess to the Lord right now. Having done so, are you aware of stuff in our city? Are you aware of stuff in our nation? Are you aware of stuff in our history? Lord, we have sinned. Lord, we have sinned. We've done wrong. Lord, maybe not me personally, but Lord, you don't ask me if I've done it personally. Daniel didn't do it personally, but, but he repented of his ancestors' sin. And so, Lord, I just do that right now as well, God. I'm not even fully aware. I repent of attitudes. I repent of statements. I repent of ignorance. God, I just take you at your word right now and repent for our city and for our nation for the horrific things that are going on, Lord, I say, Lord, please forgive us for when we've known that we shouldn't be doing something and we've done it and when we've known that we should be doing something and we haven't stepped up, Lord, please forgive us, Lord. We repent and empower us to go forward in this moment. Lord, empower us by your Holy Spirit, Lord, now to serve, Lord, to speak up, 
Lord, on behalf of those who can't. Lord, we want to be humble before you. Hey again, thanks so much for joining us on this podcast. Whether you are new and exploring your faith or a follower of Jesus, there's a next step for you. There is always room to grow, more to be done, destiny to be pursued and people to be reached. So what's your next step? To find out, head over to thechapelcollective.com.au And thanks again for listening.